Welcome back to the Interlude Podcast. You are listening to episode 103, A Conversation with Jackie Hellyer. Jackie was diagnosed with HER2 positive breast cancer in the summer of 2021. She is a fourth grade teacher, a mom of three kids, a wife, and is passionate about all things fitness and is an avid runner. On today's episode, Jackie talks about her diagnosis, what her treatment has looked like, including chemotherapy, anti-HER2 therapy, surgery, and radiation. We talk a lot about how cancer involves a loss of self and how it's necessary and important to both properly mourn that as well as to process all of those emotions. Jackie shares that she felt embarrassed when she was diagnosed because she had been known in her community for being so fit and healthy. And this is a feeling that many experience and I think is really important to talk about. On this episode, we also talk about fitness during treatment as well as after active treatment, parenting, how to both talk to your kids and how to involve them in your treatment and much more. I really think that this conversation is a accurate and open, honest discussion and depiction of what going through cancer treatment is like, the ups, the downs, and everything in between. And with that, it is my honor to welcome Jackie Hellyer to the Interlude Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Eleanor Toplinski, and I am a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in the treatment of breast and gynecologic cancers. I started the Interlude Podcast as a way to share the journeys and experiences of women who are going through cancer. On this podcast, we talk about anything and everything related to the cancer journey, the treatment, and life after cancer. As a reminder, the information discussed on this podcast is not meant to serve as medical advice. Any specific medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. Jackie, thank you so much for being here. Hi, how are you? Uh, so welcome. Can you start by telling listeners a little bit about who you are? My name's Jackie. I got diagnosed with breast cancer back in July of 2021. I'm a fourth grade teacher. Um, I have three kids, a seventh grader, a fifth grader, first grader. Um, I have a husband. Um, I have a dog. I enjoy physical activity. I love running, lifting weights. Um, I just love life. And tell me about what you want to get. We're going to talk about all about exercise because that is a huge passion of mine. Let's go back first to your diagnosis and walk me through how you were diagnosed, what that treatment looked like briefly. Okay, so um, last year, May, I had a hard chest day. Like I lifted weights, I lifted a hard chest day. And then I noticed um, I was putting away a box in my classroom and I kind of, I actually like bumped up against the shelf and I felt my, my chest and I was like, oh my, like, it kind of felt like my milk had come in. And I was like, maybe I just pulled a muscle or something during chest day. Um, I'm not a warrior. So I was just like, I'm just going to let it go and hopefully it goes away. So um, a few weeks went by and it felt like 
it just felt like my breast had turned hard. It's the oddest thing. It came out of nowhere. It was by this time, it was toward the end of May and school was out June 1st. And I told myself the first day out of school for the summer, I'm going to call and make an appointment just with my OBGYN and get checked. And um, June 1st came last day of school, three o'clock in the morning, my nephew got killed in a mining accident on June 2nd. He was only 25. So I didn't call the doctor that day. It was a tragedy for my entire family. We're still like, it still seems like a bad dream. Um, so then um, I've kind of kept this to myself. I haven't really, I told I mentioned it to my husband. I was like, I need to call the doctor. I feel something on my right breast. And he was like, well, don't wait. And I was like, well, I'm going to wait till school's out. So, um, so my nephew Trenton gets killed. Um, since it happened in the coal mine, his, um, he didn't get laid to rest for, it was over two and a half weeks. So I waited, I didn't mention it to anybody because I didn't want to be like a bigger burden if something was wrong. Um, so I waited and then it was end of June. Um, I actually went on a girl's trip with my friend. We had like a half marathon scheduled for the end of June. I ran it, came back, and I told my husband, it was on a Sunday, I said, I'm going to call the doctor tomorrow because this lump is still there. It hasn't went away. So I called the doctor. It was a Monday. I got in the same day, and then um, she was like, like, whenever I kind of bent over, she was like, well, you bend over for me. Whenever I did, it was kind of like my nipple got sucked in. Pulled in. It like, it like pulled it in, and I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I never even noticed that, and um she was like, we're going to go ahead and schedule for, for you, uh, an ultrasound. So then I went to an ultrasound. It was like within, it was this, it was on July 5th. I went for an ultrasound. They did a regular ultrasound, then 3d or a mammogram. They did a mammogram, 3d mammogram, and then the ultrasound. And whenever I went for my like state, they just kept on telling me to stay because they wanted to run more tests. I started to get this feeling in my gut. Like this isn't normal. Like, why are they doing all of this? And I've only been here for two hours. It was a very quick, it was very quick. And so, yeah, the radiology, that's who reads x-rays, right? The radiologist. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he comes in and he talks to me and he was like, you know, you have a concerning lump. Um, you need to schedule an appointment with a general surgeon to get this removed. He was like, it looks suspicious. And I was just very honest. I said, one out of 10, what do you think the chances are that this could be cancer? And he was like, I would say nine out of 10. And I was by myself and I was like, oh, okay. And I was like, I can do this. You know, my nephew just got killed. He did not have a chance to survive a life. And I have a chance if this is cancer to beat it. So like losing him gave me a whole new perspective on the fight. You know what I mean? Like, I think if I hadn't just went through that experience, I don't, I don't think I would have handled it as well, if that makes sense. No, it does. And, and thank you for sharing that about your nephew. I'm so sorry to hear, you know, that life events, life tragedies, I think make us question and rethink everything. And, right. You know, because it's a terrible situation, but in all reality, it, it could be worse. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so you get diagnosed mm-hmm. and tell me a little bit about the treatment that followed over the last year. 
Okay, so um, HER2 positive, um, hormone negative, protein positive. So I don't have, it's not estrogen and progesterone, it's not ER positive or PR positive, um, protein positive. So um, I've got the TCHP, mm-hmm. is that correct? That is correct. I got, okay, because I always want to say HTCP. I know I get the letters, but I don't know if I get them yeah, in the right I, order. I don't, you know, I don't know why that's the acronym that we use. It could very well be HCTP, you know, but yeah. <laughs> for some reason, someone picked this one. Yes. Yeah, so um, I had six treatments of those. And then, um, so my last treatment of that was in December, December 27th, I think it was. And then I started Herceptin Progetta. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a double mastectomy February 24th with um, expanders. And then I started radiation two weeks ago and I'll have 33 rounds of radiation. During my double mastectomy, Okay. So like this whole thing has just been like one thing after the next, I just keep on getting things thrown at me. Um, my general surgeon, who's very nice. He was like, I've been doing this for about 12 years. Uh, after double mastectomy, we hardly ever get margins that need looked at more. So I get a double mastectomy. He comes in, he was like, well, you're my first. And I'm like, really? Um, Yeah. Right all my pectoral muscle. I mean, it could be worse. It's, um, DCIS non-hormone mm-hmm. pre-cancer. Yep. And, um, my oncologist, he's talked to me a lot about it because there's not much research on DCIS non-hormone because it's not common. It's not as common as hormone DCIS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my original treatment was 20, I think it was like 20 to 25 rounds of radiation. And they just kind of upped it to 33 because they said radiation should take care of it before it would turn into cancer. Yeah. And then we do that a lot, you know, sometimes with certain margins in a mastectomy, because of where the margin is, you can't really go back and get more tissue, you know, in certain situations. So that's where the radiation can be very helpful. Yeah. Um, so that's where I am, um, on my treatment, my tumor was six centimeters. Um, so I'm going to tell you this, it came out of nowhere. I had my OBGYN yearly checkup in February, and then there was nothing whenever she did my breast exam, I wasn't old enough for a mammogram yet. So, um, and because I wasn't at a high health risk, she didn't uh, recommend that I get a mammogram yet. Um, so that was in February. And then in, in May, I felt this. It came literally out of nowhere. Yeah. It's the strangest thing. You know, and it's really hard because the recommendations, you know, so the standard recommendation is starting a mammogram at 40, but there are a number of other organizations that recommend 45 or even 50, which is just ridiculously late. Um, And it's a challenge because sometimes the insurance companies won't pay for it. And we know, we know we have younger people getting diagnosed. We know we need to start screening earlier. Right. Yeah. She was like, um, cause I've had three kids and I've breastfed all three of them. So that reduces your risk. I exercise daily. I don't smoke. I don't drink. You know what I mean? And it's like, and my genetics testing all came back clear, like nothing Mm -hmm. in my genetics. And, um, you know, I've like kept 
thinking in my head, what have I, like, what did I do wrong? Cause like, I've always been like, kind of like a health nut. I ate fruit, berries and exercise. And then all of a sudden, like this gets sprung on me. And to be honest with you, whenever I first found out I was diagnosed, I was, and this may sound terrible. I was embarrassed. Like I, um, like in our community, I'm kind of known as the person who is like healthy and fit. Mm -hmm. And, and I was just, whenever I look around, sometimes I'm like, you know, I've tried to do everything right. Even whenever it comes to like socializing choices, like I don't, I've never really drank. I've never smoked. I've had my kids early. Like I followed like all of these guidelines and here I am. Like it was just, yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I think that you hit on what so many struggle with about, but I did everything right. And, you know, we know that you can, you can do all the right things. You can exercise and eat healthy and reduce your risk in so many ways. And sometimes we still, we don't know why this happened, but I think this, this notion of feeling embarrassed is something that many don't talk about, but I guarantee also feel it. Yeah. Like it's even, um, my, my breast size is small. Uh, I even told my, the doctor and he told me I had breast cancer. I'm like, are you kidding me? How can something even go wrong in there? There's like nothing there. And so like, that was kind of like an embarrassment too, because I was like, you know, I'm upset about breast cancer. And at the time I did not know that I had to have a double mastectomy, mm-hmm. but the thought came in my mind is whenever I would tell people I'd have to have a double mastectomy, they'd say like, Oh, well, you don't have much to lose anyways, but like, not the right like, thing to say. Right. Right. But you know, I've, a lot of people have told me that and it's kind of been hurtful because I'm like, it's my body. It's not, it's not something that's just like, you let go of easily. It's I've nursed my kids. And, and, and I know that I was lucky enough to get this later in life to where I've been blessed to be able to have that opportunity that some, you know, some women don't because of breast cancer, but you know, it's like, some things are very hurtful. Like, Oh, it's just hair. We'll grow back. No, it's not just hair. Like your hair is part of your identity. Your breasts are part of your identity. Like this is all part of being a woman and it just gets ripped away from you. It's very hard. I talk about this a lot that, you know, I think people are not saying these things maliciously. I think they, they want to make you feel better, but there are other ways to do that, or they don't know what to say. And I think that it's okay to say, I'm sorry. I don't know what to say. I'm here for you. But instead we try to rationalize things. Well, it's just hair. And it's like you said, it, it's not, um, these are big parts of who you are. Right. Like I was telling my friend today, I was like, whenever you lose your hair, it doesn't matter. Like how good you feel about your body. Like you can be the most physically fit person and you still lose so much self-confidence. Yeah, of course. Hair is big part of who we are now now so now you're radiation and you're still doing the Herceptin and Progetta yeah until um October and tell me so before we talk about fitness um I want to hear how you because this is something comes up a lot how did you reconcile that feeling well how did this happen to me why did I get it with all right well I need to get treatment and I need to move forward you know, I feel like a lot of people can tend to be stuck in that point where they, 
it's hard to understand why it happened. Do you have any advice on how to move, not necessarily move past it, but to cope and process that? Well, I think that, so I went through the, the whole thought process of like, I did everything right. How did this happen to me? But then like, I look at people around me and just people that I follow and just people in general, like it comes to a certain point in your life and you think, well, why not me? Why not me? Like I am, God put me here on this earth, the same as anybody else. I've had choices that I made to try to prevent this, but when it comes down to it, I mean, why not me? I'm not any more special than somebody else. You know what I mean? Like, it's Mm -hmm. just something that is in my book of life and I just have to deal with it. And having kids and just them constantly watching me and how I've handled the situation, like it's helped me become a better person at showing up, like not just laying in bed because I'm sick. Like I have three kids that are watching everything that I'm doing and they've been so involved with this entire, this entire journey with me and my husband, like by cutting my hair that we donated my hair, they helped shave my head. Um, Whenever I told them that I had breast cancer, my fifth grader said, is it contagious? And I was like, it shouldn't be, but you, I mean, I can't tell you it is or it's not. And that was kind of hard for me to tell her, but I don't want to lie and say, oh no, like this is something you'll never have to worry about because in reality, this, this, this is something they'll have to worry about. That's, you know, that age that your kids are at, I think that's a really hard age to talk to kids about cancer. And how did your kids handle it besides that question, Um, answer? Honestly, my kids have handled it very well. And I think it's because that they've seen me not be sad. Like I am sad, but I don't show them all of my emotions that I show other people. Like I kind of, I put a mask on things like, even whenever I was going through my hard treatments, um, I think them being in school helped if they were home during COVID, I think it would have been worse Mm -hmm. because they would have been subject to a lot more, but you know, I would rest while they're at school and then they would come home and I would just try to be as normal as possible for that four hours that we're together from like four to eight, you know what I mean? Um, Also, another thing that our family really struggled with was because they went back to school during COVID, masks were required. And my my oncologist suggested that we wear masks in our house during my intense treatments because of my immunity. Mm -hmm. So um, we wore masks in our house and it was very hard from September until about January. That's that's a long, that's a long time, you know, Right. Because, mm-hmm. um, my kids, like my oldest daughter played basketball. So like she's around all these people without masks. Um, they eat lunch in cafeteria, overcrowded cafeterias. So, um, and a lot of teachers during that time that my kids had had COVID and it was just yeah. a huge worry. That was at the time of Omicron kind of at the tail. Right. Of, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was spreading like wildflowers. Um, my kids have, their eyes have been open because I mean, my life's been pretty, it's not been easy, but it's been pretty cushioned. Like we haven't really had much sadness or much tragedy or much sicknesses. 
like in our family and like this year it's been hit pretty hard. So um, I think that just being honest with them and not, I mean, some of it was sugar-coated. I didn't tell them everything. You know what I mean? Like they still don't know everything, but being as honest as I could on their level, I think was very helpful for them. Yeah. And, I, they, mm-hmm. and I didn't stop. Like, you know, I still ran and I still try to show up for them. I mean, there was like, after I would have my treatment, I was, I mean, I was sick. Like my husband pretty much had to like take care of the kids, like get them to school, get them home. He cooked dinner, he cleaned the house, you know, for the first few weeks after each treatment, because it was hard. Mm-hmm. It was hard. Yeah, you know, TCHP is not an easy regimen. It's, I think, one of the harder chemotherapy regimens that we give. Yeah, and um, I got thrush every single time with it. Mm-hmm. Every time. It was, it was terrible. I think that was my worst side effect was, was the thrush. Well, it's hard because then you can't swallow and you can't eat and now you're nauseous because you're not eating and it just spirals into, you know. yeah. Now let's pivot to fitness. Tell okay. me, so you're an avid half marathoner, marathoner before the diagnosis. Yeah. And tell me what you were able to do during treatment and how you started to recover that. I'm very stubborn whenever it comes to working out and feeling good because working out has been my therapy. Like it's therapeutic. It's good for your mind, body, and soul. It makes you feel like a better human whenever you work your body and challenge yourself. Um, so whenever I found out that I, uh, that I had breast cancer, I actually had a full marathon scheduled in August and this sounds terrible, but my fingers were crossed that I didn't start my first treatment until after my marathon. (laughs) And it just so happened. Training, I get it. You know, you want to run. Yeah. Yeah. Like I've been training for this marathon for, you know, since last December and it finally came. And, um, I just, whenever doc, my doctor sat down and talked to me, he was like, he told me all the side effects and things that it could cause. And I remember I looked at him and I was like, I just want you to know that I'm going to run during my treatments. And he said, you're probably one of the few that I'm going to have to tell you that like, you know, don't overdo it. He's like, I never have to tell people that because I usually I have to explain that like walking from your bed to the bathroom is not exercise. <laughs> he was like, and here I'm telling you, like, you know, you have to listen to your body or you can like do, do more harm. Than yeah. mm-hmm. So, um, so I just started after each treatment, my mom, um, would pick me up and we would walk after each treatment. And then, um, uh, usually day two after is whenever I would start feeling a little bit sick, but I would make myself get up and at least like a walk a mile or two. So Mm -hmm. like whenever I would, um, after each treatment for the first few weeks, I would walk and ride my bike because I didn't have enough strength to run. Mm -hmm. And then, and then I would run whenever I could, but during the entire time, I think I missed maybe a week like seven days total from September to December or January without missing a day of exercise, only about seven days. And that's amazing. Yeah. Like I remember a few times I was running, like trying to run, walk on the treadmill and I would have to stop and use the bathroom or stop because I felt like I was going to throw up. And then I would just start again. I was like, this is life. And I can either 
lay down and feel sorry for myself and cry or try to help reoccurrence because I said exercise helps with reoccurrence and I don't want to do this again. So if, if, if you would tell me to exercise 22 hours out of the day and it would help reoccurrence, I would do it because I don't want this. You don't need to exercise 22 hours of the day. Um, but it's funny. I always tell people, you know, you definitely want to move during chemo. You don't have to run a marathon. Um, and, but, you know, I think what you touch on is really important. There's going to be days where you really don't feel well and you're miserable. And, you know, I tell people, I say, I mean, there's some days where you have to listen to your bodies and some days you are just not going, it is a bad day, but on those kind of medium days, give yourself 10 minutes, you know, walk to the walk five minutes to the end of the block and five minutes back. And if at those 10 minutes, you still feel awful, then you're done for the day. Right. But if you don't, sometimes that gives you a little bit of extra energy and you can do another five, 10, 20 minutes. Well, I think just like, even in the winter, whenever I was going through this, like getting outside and, and taking a walk, just like, just getting that fresh air, it helps more than what people think. You know what I mean? Absolutely. A lot of people tell me, well, I walk up and down the stairs in the house, I'm active in the house, but it's that fresh air. It's the endorphins of just getting outside. And also, you know, with COVID, especially if you're getting chemotherapy, you're cooped up inside, you're not really going anywhere. And so that just that change of scenery really, really helps. Oh, for sure. Um, uh, last January, I set a goal of running a half marathon a month just on my own. And, um, and I did it. I remember November was probably the worst one with like just having low energy. And I cried whenever I finished, I just, I just couldn't, I don't know. Like I just, I don't want to sound like, Oh, you know, like all proud of myself, but I was going through this horrible situation and, um, and I did it. And then December came and I got kind of a longer break because I didn't want to get chemo right before Christmas because I wanted to feel well on Christmas for my kids. So like my doctor let me get it after Christmas. So like that December half marathon that I ran on my own, I had more strength because I think I was like, instead of 21 days, I was like, I was at like 25 or 26 days Mm -hmm. and I felt really good. And you know, whenever I ran all through chemotherapy, it was, it made me feel like that was something that I had control of, even though I was out of control with so much, like that's something I could, I could plan for and just do the best that I could do. Absolutely. Chemotherapy, you know, especially the regimen that you were getting, we know causes a lot of joint pain. How was that joint pain with running? And what about strength training? Were you able to do that or was it hard? Um, So I've noticed that I have a lot of, I still have a lot of joint pain in my knees and my hips. Like it feels like those are the, those are the areas that I feel like I don't have as much flexibility, if that makes sense. Like, like I told my husband, I was like, whenever I bend my knees, it almost feels fluidy. Like it's like tight. And, um, and I've talked to my oncologist about it, but he said it should go away within a certain amount of time. Um, whenever I would start running, I would feel super tight and my joints would hurt. But once I would get going for a while, it would just, I would either learn to live with it or ignore it, or it just went away. Like I didn't really focus on it. So exercise made it better. 
Oh, 100%. Yeah. Cause I would lay in bed and just feel like, you know, like restless legs and like my legs would get restless. And just if I would get up and move and walk, like honestly, exercise helped. I hardly took, um, like I was nauseous, but the, um, Zofran and there was another one I was on. I took it maybe like two or three days after each treatment. And my, I just feel like exercise helped, helped everything the entire time. Yeah, it, it really does. And I think that people who even, you know, who are active before cancer, it helps you get through treatment better. Mm -hmm. For sure. I agree a hundred percent. Um, but it's, it's, a it's a mental battle because the last thing sometimes that you feel like doing is getting up out of bed. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Now, the other question I have for you. So, you know, you're used to obviously pre-cancer running certain paces, you have your fitness, you've worked hard to build that up. And I'm assuming that with cancer, your, your paces declined, what you were able to do changed. How did you like, I wouldn't say come to terms with it. Cause I think that's hard. You've trained to this level and, and I think this applies for anybody, whatever level you are is going to decrease during chemo. Well, um, like definitely like lifting and stuff. I had to decrease weight. Um, my porch, like after I got it in, he told me I should be careful on how much weight I lifted. So I decreased weight back in July, um, my paces <laughs> decrease. Like I, so I'm not sure if you read my, um, on my Instagram post, I ran that half marathon a few weekends ago mm -hmm. and I sat on a rock. Like it makes me want to cry now. I think it was like the first time that it was, um, it makes me so sad. I think it was the first time I came to terms that like cancer, like really sucks. Like, yeah. you know, no matter how hard you push through and no matter what you do, it still affects you. Like that's not in your control. Mm -hmm. And um, I had like, I was like moving really good and my paces, like it was a trail race. So of course, like your pace isn't going to be like a road race. Um, I got to mile 10 and it was like, I was out of steam. Like it was, <laughs> Usually I have to fight with my mind to go, but this time it was like my body, like my mind was like, you know, just try to run a 10th and then walk two tenths. But mile 10, like after I hit mile 10, it felt like, I can't even explain what happened, but it was like, my body was like, nope, I'm done. And it was like, it was hard. I sat there and I cried and, um, I ended up walking pretty much the last three miles and after I finished my running friend, she, um, she was there and she's actually, she hurt her ACL. So she has to have surgery. And it was like the first trail race I ran without her. And I just sat there and cried with her. I was like, this was one of the most hardest races I've ever, like the hardest race mentally that I've ever ran. And I thought that I was mentally stronger, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it hit me all of a sudden that, you know, things in my life have caused my body to not be as strong as what it once was. Mm -hmm. And it just hit me in the face because at that time I couldn't find a distraction to, to distract what was happening. Like, you know, I had to finish, I was in the middle of the woods. I couldn't just turn around 
And um, at that point, I was like, cancer is terrible at what it does to your body. Yeah. No, it, it, it just seeps into all aspects. And I love it. And I think it's one of those things. It's very much like grief where it just hits you at certain times. You know, you think you're doing okay. Yeah. And it just comes at you at moments where, you know, not that you least expect it, but it just, there are these moments after active treatment that really are hard. My, um, my nurse navigator, she, my first treatment, she came in and she talked to my husband and I, and she was like, by the end of this, you're going to feel like you're mourning the loss of yourself. Mm-hmm. And I kind of like, for some reason that, that has stuck with me because I just thought she's crazy. Like, what does she mean more, more in the loss of myself? Like I'm not dying, but like now that I've made it this far, she was a hundred, hundred percent correct. Like you lose, you lose, you lose so much of yourself through this yeah. mentally, physically, emotionally, socially. I mean, just, just, it's almost like you have to recreate yourself. It's such a strange feeling. Like, yeah, it's from like losing your hair. I had beautiful hair. I'm just going to say it. Like I complained about my hair my entire life because <laughs> it was like wavy and unruly and I'd always have to straighten it. But I had really nice hair and I just thought I wasted all that time, like complaining about my hair. And it just, just whenever it started to fall out, I was, it was devastating. I mentally exhausted myself. So if I have to give anybody some advice for when their hair starts to fall out, don't go through the agony of like trying to wait until the last strand. Cause that's what I did. And I just caused myself so much stress and anxiety that wasn't even worth it. Like my hair started falling out probably 13 days after my first treatment. And I, and that was September 9th. So 13 days after that. And I ended up having my husband shave it right before Halloween. And it was just, I was afraid to wash it. I was afraid to comb it. And then I would like try to put it in a braid before I would go to sleep and I'd wake up and it'd be all matted because it's falling out. Like you just can't, you can't save it. And in my mind, I was like, if I don't touch it, then I'll get to keep it a little bit longer. And why I felt that way, I don't know. Well, I think there's, you know, I think your brain goes into these certain modes to protect yourself. You know, and, you know, I always, I find this all the time. I'll tell people, you know, your hair is going to fall out. You know, we talk about wigs, we talk about scalp cooling, we talk about shaving it, you know, all of those things. And often I I find that people, I mean, they hear everything that I'm saying, but there's almost a part of you that maybe that's thinks, well, maybe I'm going to be the one, you know, my hair is not going to fall out. Mm -hmm. And it's this, your, your brain just kind of like, I don't know. It, it, you have to tell yourself these things, I think, to protect yourself, to allow you to get to the next step. Yeah. Like this whole entire thing, I've felt like from the first time I met my oncologist to even now, sometimes I feel like I'm just like the, like, this is a movie and I just got a really terrible part of the movie and this isn't really happening to me, mm-hmm. but 
it's almost hard. I'm very good at distracting what's going on by focusing on other things. Like I'll focus on exercise. I'll focus on my kids. I'll focus on my family to get my mind off of like what's really happening. And sometimes like you can't escape what's happening no matter how hard you try. And like losing your hair is one thing that you can't escape because every mirror you walk by, every person you see, like it's like the sure sign that something's wrong. Yeah. I mean, a lot of you're not feeling well, you can hide a lot of that, but hair is such an outward thing that, you know, and then when it's growing back, it looks different and the texture is different. And so um, it's, it's really, it's really hard. And, you know, I, I think too, we talk about the hard, you know, survivorship and how I think survivorship is, is really challenging, sometimes even more challenging than during treatment, because during treatment, you know, what you have to do, you have your chemo, and there's these, there's these milestones. Well, I'm, I, I just have to get to the end of chemo. Yeah. And then I just have to get to the end of surgery. And then after that, after you finish everything, well, there are really no more milestones. Right. Yeah. And you're like, well, what do I, what's next? Right. You hope that like, just, you can start living your life again, but I don't know how people get past like, um, like the fear of it coming back. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, you pray that it doesn't come back and like, you don't want it to come back. But I think like, once you get past, like, I always think like, once I get past five years, like I'm less likely to get it. And then I'll be like 10 years. Like, it's like, there's always this timeline that you're thinking of when in fact, you're not promised tomorrow either way. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think, and you know, the fear of recurrence doesn't ever go away, but we hope that with time it lessens, you know, just like grief, right? Yeah. You always mourn the person you lost mm-hmm. when someone dies, but over time, maybe you, you think about it a little bit less mm-hmm. or it's, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt as much, you know, or things like that. But I think similarly with the fear of recurrence, People tell me, you know, that it's always on their minds, but with each passing month, with each passing year, you've kind of made it another year, right? And it hasn't come back. And so there's a little bit of relief um, or you kind of learn, you know, part of it too, is we always talk about, well, you have to know your body, right? So if there's a new symptom, you should know your body. And I say this and then I go, I always kind of feel bad about saying that because you don't know your new body after chemo and surgery. And so you have to relearn who this, how everything feels and what's normal and what's not normal. And what's this rib cage pain after my mastectomy and and all of that. Yeah. It's just, I think that you have to come to peace with things Mm -hmm. in order, in order to move forward. Yeah, I think. And I also think not avoiding these conversations and this is where therapy can be very helpful and just saying that this is really hard and sitting with that toughness and processing it, because what happens is a lot of times people will kind of, yep, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I'm good. And when you don't give yourself the time to grieve and to mourn the loss of yourself, as you said, I think that's a harder recovery down the road. And that's kind of like where I was. I mean, I'm really good at like putting my feelings to the side. A and lot I just, of people are. Yeah. And I just remember one day, like, I just, I just felt like this is reality and I broke and um, I actually started seeing a therapist before my double mastectomy. And 
I would recommend a therapist for, I mean, pretty much everybody in life needs therapy. Like it's not a bad thing just to be able to talk to somebody. Um, but I saw a therapist and she really helped me and I'm glad that I made that choice. Cause I was always one that would say like, I'm happy. Like I don't need therapy or I don't like things aren't bothering me when in fact, like things are bothering you and it's okay to feel sad and it's okay to feel grief and it's okay to be mad. Mm-hmm. And yeah, all of those emotions are okay. And also recognizing that your spouse, your partner, your mom, your best friend, whoever it is, they're not, they want to support you, but they're not always the best person right. to, for you to, to carry that burden. Yeah. Yeah. In order like- to hear that burden they're already dealing with a lot, you Mm -hmm. know, and sometimes like, like you said, it's easier to go to somebody who isn't as close knit and doesn't experience everything with you to like, it's sometimes it's easier to talk to them. You know, when you share what you're feeling with your loved one, remember that their emotions are also wrapped up in how they're interpreting your emotions. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is why so many of our, you know, the loved ones will say, you're going to be fine. You have to stay positive because they need you to be okay. Right. And it's scary. It's scary for them. And they, they say they, them saying those things out loud, I think reassures them as well. You know, she's going to be fine. She's going to be okay. Whereas a therapist can really take a very unbiased look right. and help you process all of those fears and moods and emotions and everything. Like my therapist, um, she always said, cause I, like I told her, I was like, you know, it feels like, I don't want to say my, like, it felt like my life was ending, but it felt like my, like everything that I enjoyed, like going to work, I took the year off because I'm a teacher and I have like 28 kids in my, in a small room where there's germs everywhere. Like my oncologist, like if you had like a desk job, like secretary job, or like where you're not around kids, he was like, I would, I wouldn't even tell you to take off work, but he was like, you work at like a high risk job yeah. with, mm-hmm. but like, I lost my, like, I didn't go to work this year and I, I love teaching. Like, that's one thing I enjoy is building relationships with kids. And I missed my coworkers. And then like, you know, just everything that was normal was wiped off my slate. And I'm just like, what do I do? Yeah. It's really, it's really changing and really tough. Jackie, before we wrap up, I want to thank you for being so open and vulnerable because it's really helpful for other people to hear it and recognize themselves in some of what you're saying. Yeah. Um, One thing that I wanted to say too, like, when you're going through this and um, I live in a very small community and my daughter played basketball this past season and I was like stuck at home. I didn't really go in stores like during this whole time. I only went to my doctor's appointments and home. Um, My first time that I went into her basketball game and I'm a social butterfly. Like I could talk to, I talked to strangers about breast cancer. I'm like, Hey, you know, I've gone through breast cancer treatments. I just wanted to raise awareness on, on self checking your breasts. Like my daughters get so embarrassed. They're like, mom, (laughs) stop (laughs) it. (laughs) I mean, I'm very random like that. I can go talk to anybody, but like I walked into my daughter's basketball game and I felt like I was having an anxiety attack. 
like I felt like everybody was looking at me and like there are people in there that weren't wearing masks and this was in December so um or November I can't remember but this is whenever like I was like my immunity was low and I had never had this fear of being in public I'm like who is this person and I only stayed like a quarter of her basketball game and left because I felt like I was I had social anxiety and so COVID during this time hasn't helped people in so many ways, yeah. like just socially. Oh, and, absolutely. And now you add cancer to the mix and it's yeah. a whole new level right. that we, no one was prepared for. Right. And I just, um, like, I just want to talk, like, just wanted to mention how just being around your community and people that, you know, whenever you're going through something like this and you're stuck in your house and not around anybody like that social anxiety is terrible. It like triggered me. I just wanted to leave, you know? So it was just something else that I'd struggled with. No, I, I think that's really important information. Is there anything else that we didn't touch on that you want to share? Nope. I think I'm good. If listeners want to connect with you, reach out to you, how can they do that? Um, I'm at J underscore J underscore Hellier underscore runs. I think that is my IG handle. <laughs> There's lots of underscores. So Jackie, like if you just type in Jackie Hellyer on Instagram, I'll pop up. And I'll tag you so people can just link through okay. that directly. Thank you so much for, for doing this and chatting with me. Yeah. Anytime. Thank you for having me. Thank you all so much for listening to my conversation with Jackie. I learned a lot from this conversation and I hope that you did too. I think it's really important to open up about the mental health struggles that cancer creates. I think it's important to talk about them so that other people feel that they are not alone, that they are not the only ones going through it. And I'm really grateful to Jackie for being so vulnerable on today's episode. You can connect with Jackie on Instagram at J underscore J underscore runs. And I, and you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter at Dr. Toplinski. As always, I am so grateful if you take a moment to leave a rating and review for the podcast on Apple Podcasts and iTunes on Spotify, as that is really the best way to help me bring the show to new listeners and to help it grow. Thank you again for listening and I will see all of you soon.